Our text tonight comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 10, and verses 32 and 33. Again, for context this evening, I'm going to back up a little bit in the chapter to verse 16. So a little bit longer scripture reading, but it gives the context for these two very pivotal verses that we will consider tonight. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's word from Matthew 10, beginning at verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as servants and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated of all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And here's our text. Therefore... Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let us pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, your word is glorious and true and righteous and perfect. 
And yet, apart from your Holy Spirit illuminating our minds to understand it, we will never comprehend it. We will reject its message. We will scoff at the Holy One. So, O Lord, we ask that you would give us a great portion of your Holy Spirit tonight. That as we have been meditating on you all the day long, that we might meditate on you tonight. And that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our God and our Redeemer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. I would like to take you back almost 500 years to the year 1553. And there was a man that I'm sure many of you have heard of before, Thomas Cranmer, very famous in the Anglican church and very famous for his work that he did with many kings of England, King Henry, King Edward, but famous perhaps most of all because at age 60 years old, very old at that time, it was under the rule of Bloody Mary, that queen, that wicked queen, who under her rule, one Protestant on average was put to death every single day for his or her faith. And it was under her rule that Thomas Cramer was imprisoned. He was put under cruel hardships in prison, especially given his age. And after several years of those hardships, Mary's bishops and those that worked for her secured Cranmer's signatures on documents that renounced the Reformation, that renounced his writings against the Roman Catholic Church and renounced salvation by grace alone. They also then professed allegiance to the Pope and a love for the Pope's mass. He who once promoted the true religion in his old age, under much persecution, he denied it. Our text tonight brings us to this great statement by the Lord Jesus Christ, wherein he calls all men to worry little about the great tribulations and trials that will come upon them, and instead to confess his name before men with this promise that he will confess us before the Father. And my hope tonight is this, that through the proclamation of God's word, that you would count the glory of Christ and of his cross, as was preached this morning, that you would find that greater riches than anything the world could possibly offer. And therefore, you would confess Christ tonight and keep confessing him until the day of his return. For he gives us this great promise that should be before us throughout the week in our whole lives, that if we confess him, He will confess us before the Father. And so we are faced with this question. What does it mean to confess Christ? For Jesus says, if you confess me before men, then I will also confess you before the Father. What does it mean? When we hear the term confess today, if you're like me, you think about a criminal who confesses his crime. He's charged with something and he pleads guilty. He confesses what he did. Children, I suspect sometimes your parents ask you if you did something wrong, and you confess. You tell them the truth. Yes, I did it. That's often the way we think of confession, confession to something wrong, something bad that we did or someone else did and they acknowledge it. But the word here in Scripture and the way it's used in the New Testament is not, is not so much a confession of something that's wrong, but it's actually a public declaration of belief in a statement or in a person or in a whole system of doctrine. 
It is an agreement or an acknowledgement, a declaration, or even as is used in other places, a profession. A profession that something that has been stated is what you believe. And in fact, in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church's book of uh, directly of worship and book of church order, it uses the terms confess and profess interchangeably because they are very much synonyms. And as you look at that in the scripture, you can think when you see confess of the word profess. And when you see profess, you can think of confess because these are synonyms. It is the acknowledgement, the declaring, the professing, the pronouncement of something that you believe to be true. And when someone accuses you of it, you confess that, yes, what they've accused you of is true. But what does it mean to confess Christ as Christians? I want us to look very briefly at five things that this means to confess Christ. And I want us to think first that the confession of Christ must first come to a confession of Christ's word. That we would believe, if we confess Christ, we're confessing that we believe in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. For this is what uh, Paul said in Acts chapter 24 and verse 14 as he stood before the king. He said, but this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. Paul, as he stood before great kings, he confessed, yes, if I am accused of believing the law and the prophets, the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, I confess that it's true. That way that you call a sect, that's my way. That's the way of the Lord. To confess Christ is to confess the word of Christ. But there's certainly more than that. There's also belief in Christ as the second person of the Trinity. And there's the confession of the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the same in substance, equal in power and glory, that there are not three gods, but one God, one God revealed to us in three persons, and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and God the Son. This is, of course, what the Lord said in that great commission. He told his disciples, told the church to go out, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That was the great work that they were to go doing teaching them the great things of the triune God, to confess Christ. One cannot do it unless they're confessing God the Father and God the Holy Spirit as well, the one triune God. And there's more than that. We also must acknowledge something about ourselves, for we're going to come to the need to confess the Lord as our Savior. We must acknowledge our sin and that this Christ who's revealed to us is Christ the Savior is Jesus who's named that because he'll save his people from their sins. So while confessing Christ has its focus on Christ, we're also saying something about ourselves, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Mary, she's promoted by that Roman Catholic Church as a sinless woman who herself was born in an immaculate way. But it was Mary who gives us that great confession in Luke chapter 1, verse 47. My spirit has rejoiced in the Lord, my Savior. Mary's confession was that she was a sinner and that Christ was her Savior. This is what it means to confess Christ, that I am a sinner and he is my Savior. And we go beyond that. Confessing Christ is to proclaim Christ as Lord. That he's not only the Savior, but he's the Lord, he's the ruler, he's the King. He governs me because he has made me. 
He governs me because he's seated on his throne above all heavens and principalities and powers. I'm his creature. He's the potter. I'm the clay. He's given his word and I must follow it. And so as doubting Thomas got to behold the pierced hands and the side of Jesus and his feet, Thomas says, my Lord and my God, he confessed Christ as his Lord. And there's a further way, a final way that we confess Christ. And that is that we proclaim a love for his bride, the church. You remember that day, I trust, and John, at the end of John's gospel, as Jesus was risen from the dead, just as he said, and he came to Peter, who on the night of Christ's death denied Jesus three times. And three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus' response, feed my sheep. He's the Lord of his church. And those that love Christ must love his bride, for he has redeemed his bride with his own blood. He's redeemed a church, a people for himself. Those that confess Christ must confess his church. Now, if these five statements of confession sound familiar, they are very much aligned with the five vows that members, communicant members, stand here before you and make as they declare Christ for themselves, that they believe in him. It's very much in line with what the book of Romans in chapter 10 says to us. But what does it say? Romans 10 verse 8. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is what it means to confess Christ. But if this is what confessing Christ means, why, why is confession of Christ so important? And why would confession of Christ publicly be important? And I want to draw our attention to these two words in the opening of verse 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. The Lord Jesus is making a very explicit statement that confession of him is not to be a private secret confession. We are to confess Christ before men. We are to do so publicly. We are to do so because Christ Jesus died publicly for us. He died for his children, not in secret. He didn't suffer in secret. He suffered in one of the most public ways imaginable, on a hill outside Jerusalem, right by the road. And all the people saw him, and they mocked him. He did that for us publicly. And those that would be his, he calls us not to have a secret allegiance to him, but a very public allegiance to him. And so we're called tonight, as we confess Christ, to confess him before men. Now, I do want to be careful in saying this. That we're not saying here that confession, public confession of Christ, is something that must be done in order that we might be saved. That's not what is being said here, as if it's repent, believe, confess Christ publicly and be saved. No, not at all. But even as Romans 10 points out, those that have been saved, those that have been justified, they then will confess Jesus Christ as their own because he's made us his own. So this is not adding 
to what God has said in his word, but laying out for those that have been justified, for those that are believing in their hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, that he is Lord and God and Savior, they confess Christ publicly with their mouths. We certainly would be shocked and ashamed if a man would deny that he knows his wife or his children. But someone might do that. Some wicked man might deny his wife and his children. It's been done before. But no Christian may deny Christ, his Lord and his Savior. Think about several examples from Scripture. That blind man of John 9, as he confessed Christ even to Jesus after he's ridiculed by the chief priests and the Pharisees, the Lord Jesus came to him and said, Do you believe in, in Christ? And he said, Lord, who is he that I might believe? And Jesus said, The one that's talking to you is him. And he said, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. You remember that lame man, even after Jesus' ascension into, into glory, into heaven, where he is right now, that as Peter and John went walking to the temple, they went through that gate called the beautiful gate, and there was that lame man, and he wanted money, and they gave to him something far better than money. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And that lame man, he stood up right there. He went walking, leaping, and praising God. He went confessing Christ, and there were thousands in attendance. It's hard to imagine a more public confession than that lame man made. Or you might remember in Mark 9, as that man who had the demon-possessed son, as he cries out, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Public confession. And of course, there's Paul's instruction to Timothy at the end of his first book, chapter 6 and verse 12, where he tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You see, it's throughout Scripture, isn't it, that we are to confess Christ. It's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did in Daniel 3. We will not deny the Lord God by bowing down to this golden image. He can deliver us. He doesn't have to. Whatever the case, we will not deny him. They confessed the Lord Jesus Christ publicly before a watching world. If these famous accounts of Scripture and those men and women did not confess Christ, we would consider them ungrateful. How could they not confess the one who saved them, who healed them, whatever the case might be? And so if someone is unwilling to confess Christ publicly, it is not a credible profession of faith. That does not mean that someone that has not confessed Christ publicly cannot be saved. That's not the message here. The message is that if one doesn't do it publicly, it's not a credible profession of faith. A Christian, one that's been saved, they rejoice to tell of Christ their Savior. How can they do anything but confess him who has saved them from their sins? I am not of the world. I am of Christ. That is the Christian's profession, and it is to be done publicly before men. But let's ask another question here tonight from this text. We're to confess Christ. We're to do it before men. How do we do it? How do we confess Christ before men? And I want to draw our attention uh, to several to several groups of people among us tonight. I want to think about this individually, the individual profession of Christ as our Lord and Savior. And first, comment to you, parents. Parents, you are the one that your children, the ones that your children are looking to. To see an example of Christ's likeness, to see the joy of the Lord as your strength. They are looking to you. So the question is, have you made your public profession of faith before your children who are watching? Do they know that Christ is yours and that you are Christ? 
Do they see that you are a sinner washed with the blood of the Lamb and that you must confess your sins like you expect your children to confess their sins? Because you know that Christ Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. Do they look at you and say, I want that faith. It's imperfect. I know my father and my mother are imperfect, imperfect, but I want that faith for my own. For there is a joy in my parents that is supernatural. That is the work of the Spirit in them. Parents, if you have not confessed Christ as your own before men, how will your children ever be expected to do it? Now, God is able To bring your children to confess Christ with or without you. Praise God for that. But God has given means and he's given parents to be examples of that for their children. We need to have our focus heavenward. And our children then can be pointed heavenward by us. But if our our calling election is not sure, how can we take the time to go after our children when we are apart from Christ? So parents come near to Christ. Confess him before men. Be that example to your children of the joy of the Lord. But let me then address the children. Children, there are many here tonight. Praise God for this. You who were like me, maybe growing up as a young child in the church, I never knew what a privilege that was because I did it always from my youth. And yet how few children are gathered in a church tonight to hear the words of everlasting life. There may be children gathered around TVs, watching movies or sporting events with their parents, and they have never heard or they hear very little the wonderful words that will bring them from this dead and dying world to everlasting glory in heaven. You've been given a privilege, children. Rejoice in this. Your parents are imperfect. As you get older, you see that more and more. But praise God that God worked in them to bring you to this church on this very night and throughout your lives. But here is the call to your children. Have you confessed Christ before men? If you have not confessed your faith, but you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, Lord and God, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, that he is the Savior of sinners, and that's the reason that he came, and that he died on the cross for his children, that they might not perish but have everlasting life. If you believe the word that he has spoken, that it is true, that it is powerful, that he has by himself purged our sins, God calls you, tell your parents that. Ask them to talk to the elders. Say, I want to confess Christ before men that he might confess me before the Father. I believe. My unbelief needs help. Oh, but I want to confess him before men. Children, this is a joyful thing. The elders, perhaps in in my limited experience, I think the most joyful thing is when an adult or a child stands up before the congregation and confesses Christ as their own. Children, Confess the Lord Jesus Christ. But maybe, children, you are like me. I remember as a child, remembering those warnings. I heard so often of of people who apostatized. I heard of these great warnings from Scripture about how it would be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than for Jerusalem who rejected the Christ. And these things made me fear. And there was even a question, should I confess Christ? Because what if I confess him and then I deny him? Children. Here is the reality. As Scripture says, those that deny Christ, those that we would call apostates, they never believed him in their heart to begin with. They went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of Christ, they would have continued with him. But they went out that they might be made known to all the church that they were not Christians. They were lying. They were speaking words of confession out of their mouths that they did not believe in their hearts. And so they went out from us. They were made known to be what they are. Do not fear that. 
If you believe Jesus Christ in your heart today, that he is Lord and Savior and that God raised him from the dead and he rules and reigns and your trust and your hope is in him. No one, not even you, can pluck yourself from the Father's hand. He is too powerful. He is too great. No principality, no power, no nothing, no person. None can pluck you from his hand. What he, when he laid down his life for his children, none of them could be lost. It's impossible. God is too great. Children, if you've ever thought of that, that you're afraid of confessing Christ before men because you're afraid of apostatizing, trust in Christ more. He is able to deliver you to the uttermost. He is able, and he saves all of his children. None of them can be lost. None of his blood was wasted. When he died on that cross, every drop of blood went for a purpose, to save all his children forevermore. Don't be afraid. Confess Christ before men. Visitors, I don't know, being a visiting, a guest, a, a guest expositor today, I don't know if there are visitors here, but maybe there are. In my church in Atlanta, we've had some folks who have been there for years, and we're constantly calling them to confess Christ before the church in public. Visitors, if you've been waiting to do that, don't wait anymore. Talk to the session. Confess Christ before men. That's one way we do it individually, but we also do confession of Christ corporately. We do it as a church. We did it this morning in the Lord's Supper. You probably remember well from your pastor's continued exhortations from 1 Corinthians 11:26. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim Christ, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Do you think about that that every time you lift up that cup and you drink it, and every time you take that bread and you eat it, you are confessing Christ, his death until he comes again. You are saying, that Lord is my Lord, and I am his child, and I believe in him and rest in him and hope in him from now until glory. We confess Christ corporately as a church. That's why the table is fenced. Not all churches fence the Lord's table. They should, but they don't. But they, they fence the table for this reason, because there's two things that are happening. There is communion with God. Some people talk, talk about that as the vertical communion between God's children and him. And we're communing with God in the Lord's Supper, even as individuals and as a church at the same time, communing with God. But we are also communing with one another. We're communing with fellow confessors and we're drinking the, the cup. We're eating the bread, confessing together that that Lord and Savior who is revealed in the bread and the wine that he is our Lord together. It doesn't make sense for those that haven't confessed Christ publicly to be partaking of the Lord's Supper. It's dangerous for them. That is not to scare people from the Lord's Supper. That's to say, you who are not ready to take the Lord's Supper, confess Christ before men. Talk to the session and then commune with God and with his people in that glorious sacrament. And there's another way that we're called to confess Christ, and that's, of course, before the watching world. I think we can say that's the focus of Christ's message. That's why I read more of Matthew 10. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, but to the whole church, to us tonight, telling us that we are to confess Christ before the watching world. We are not to do as the world does, which is this, worry what the world thinks about what we say. We are not to worry about that. We are to worry about what Christ thinks about what we say. He is the judge. He is the ruler. The world is, is passing away. We need to be concerned about, as, as God's people, that we would confess Christ before men because we desire Christ to confess us before the Father in heaven. We desire him to say, 
of us that this one is mine. And so we confess him before the father and or before the world and worry little about what the world thinks thinks about us. But it comes it comes at a cost, doesn't it? After our text, we read about that, that confessing Christ brings division, division at the closest relationships that, that we have division between parents and children, husband and wife, sons and daughters, uh, um, grandparents, in-laws, there's division. I suspect many of you have faced some measure of division in your family because of this. You have said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. That confession brings division. When when, uh, Peter made that great confession, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus said, on this rock, on that confession... I will build my church. It was an earth-shattering, an earth-shattering confession that would bring division because the world hates Christ. Even as, as Jesus said in verse 25 of the same chapter, he said, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? And if you know from later on in Matthew, I believe it's Matthew chapter 14, but I didn't write down that text, but Matthew chapter 14, where Jesus is casting out demons. And the rulers of the synagogue, they say, you're casting out demons by the prince of demons, Beelzebub. They're calling Jesus Beelzebub. If they would blaspheme the name of Christ and bring such contempt on him who is glorious and blessed forever, amen, what will they say of you, of his household? There is a cost. There is surely a cost in confessing Christ. It may be those that are closest to you. But at risk of trivializing this, which I certainly don't want to do, I can't help but notice how quickly people in our present day in America are quick to confess allegiance to a sport team. How quickly, regardless of what their family members think, will they say, I'm for that football team or that baseball team or whatever the case might be. They will confess their sports teams to one another, won't they? And sometimes we're ashamed to confess Christ who saves us to eternal life. The Lord gives us this precious promise in Romans 10, verse 11. We read a few minutes ago. Whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. We, we talked about that this morning with the flesh and the cross, that those that boast in the flesh, they're ashamed of Christ and of his glorious gospel. The Lord is telling us in Romans chapter 10 that those who confess Christ as their own, they will never be put to shame. You never have to worry that, oh, if I confess him, am I going to be ashamed later on? And I'm, am I going to wish I didn't confess him later on? No, the Lord is saying, confess him. You'll never be ashamed. Confess him. The treasures of this present evil age are nothing to be compared to the glory that awaits Christ's children in heaven. Confess Christ. It's here that the dividing line is set before the, the believer and, and those that fake belief, between the wheat and the tares and the goats and the sheep, like we talked about earlier. Those that confess Christ before men, he will confess Christ. So don't, he will confess us before the Father. So don't faint, brothers and sisters. Press on. Confess Christ. But there's this great promise, isn't there? There's a warning, but there's, there's also a promise. And the warning is given in verse 33. And I'm going to go there and come back to the promise. But the warning is that whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father in heaven. This is a true warning. We can as confidently know that Christ is our Savior as we can know this, that whoever denies Christ before men, Christ will deny before the Father. Those foolish virgins in Matthew 25, they could not enter into glory. The door was shut. Those are fearful words, brothers and sisters. We need to fear those words for our unsaved loved ones and friends. The door will be shut 
on those that deny Christ before men. Those tares are gathered up into the field and burned at that great day. There's a great warning. And Jesus will say, even to those who said with their mouths what they didn't believe in their hearts, Lord, Lord, he will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you workers of iniquity. There are, there are none in hell. There are none in hell who have confessed the Lord from the heart as they spoke of him with their mouth. But there are those in hell who spoke his name only from their mouth and not because they had a regenerate heart. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, even all who call upon the name of the Lord, believing in their heart that God has raised him from the dead. They will be saved. This is a warning, a warning to the world, a warning to the one that is, um, that is living a double life, a warning to those that have confessed Christ and aren't living with him but are living in the flesh. If we have denied Christ, then the call of this passage is to repent and confess Christ. Peter, that example we mentioned before, he denied Christ three times. Did the Lord cast him out? No, the Lord called him back to himself because our Lord is long-suffering, gracious and merciful, abounding in goodness and truth. If we've denied Christ, repent, confess it, and confess Christ to all the world. But if we've never embraced him, I plead with you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, come to him. Confess his holy name, repent, and be converted, that your sins might be blotted out. And when you repent and are converted, your sins are blotted out. It's a positive promise. Come, come to the Lord. Come to the, that, that great bread of life. Come, drink of the living water. None who come to him will in any wise be cast out. That's the warning of verse 33, but I want to come then back to the promise. And this is the main thing of the text. There's the, there's the, the call, the imperative to confess Christ before men. But here's this great promise that's, that's marvelous that the Lord gives us. He says, if you do that, him I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. This is a marvelous statement. This is a joyful statement. This should fill us with all assurance of salvation that Jesus Christ would confess us as individuals before his Father in heaven. It's a thing altogether too glorious, even to, to fully comprehend and wrap our minds around. But it has, many, it has many applications. There's a present application. The Lord will do it now. He will do it in the future. There will be great vindication for you who have suffered for a little while, nail on earth for the name of Christ. Christ will vindicate you on that great day of glory before the watching world that's being cast into outer darkness, but more importantly, before his Father. He will vindicate you in that that day of salvation and that day of judgment. But there's also this for the present, that there's salvation now for you. There's great assurance now for you who have confessed Christ with your mouth. The Lord Jesus says as much in 1 John 5 and 13. These things I have written unto you, the scripture, these things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you might believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can know. That you have eternal life today. You who are believing and confessing the Lord Jesus Christ. What a glorious thing. But the Lord doesn't just give us these positive doctrinal statements, which are glorious in and of themselves. He gives us examples. Infallible examples from his scripture over and over and over of those that confess Christ and Christ is confessing them. Think about Stephen in Acts chapter 7, that great passage as that first deacon 
is known for this. He preached a sermon. And as he preached to those people, you remember, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed on him with their teeth. And they took him and they, they brought him out of the city to stone him. Even like Christ, his Savior, just many, not many weeks before. And what happened is G, as Stephen was getting ready to be stoned, he, as all Christians should always, had his gaze not on earth, not on his enemies. He wasn't looking for help from any earthly forces. He had his gaze set heavenward. His eyes were fixed. Death was coming and his eyes were where they should be, where every Christian's eyes should always be, on heaven, where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Except in this instance, Jesus wasn't seated. You might remember in that passage that as Stephen looked up into heaven, Jesus wasn't seated. He was standing by the throne of God and Stephen saw Jesus standing. Why? Because Stephen, for a whole chapter, had been confessing Christ before men. And there was Christ standing at the right hand of God, confessing Stephen before the Father. They were about to kill him. Stephen looked heavenward and his Savior was there, confessing him before the Father. Brothers and sisters, this should be a joy for us, that our Savior stands for us. But there's another example. Go back to the Old Testament. Let's finish that account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were thrown into that burning, fiery furnace because they would not bow down. And it was no joke. This wasn't like some liberals would say, ah, it wasn't really a fiery furnace. It wasn't that dangerous. Knowing that those false prophets would come, the Lord shows in Daniel how hot this fiery furnace was. You might remember those mighty men who were tasked with carrying those three Hebrews, that as they went to that fiery furnace, it was so hot that when they tossed them in, the heat of it killed them. They died throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in. And there was Nebuchadnezzar full of pride with his big golden statue off in the plains of Dura with all those people bowing down and worshiping it. A horrendous music being made with all these instruments and all these worshipers of false god. All his counselors, all his advisors, he's standing there watching the furnace. He's not even bowing down to his fraudulent golden image. He's watching the furnace because he wants to kill these men who would dare stand against him. And as he looks into that burning fiery furnace, he's amazed. Why? Because he threw in three men. And he sees four men in there. And the fourth is like the Son of Man standing and walking and talking with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There is the Son of Man, that, that pre-incarnate Christ, standing there with those that would confess him before men. Oh, what a glorious thing it is to see. But what about another, one more example, that thief on the cross. That thief on the cross. I heard once said that public confession can't be that important because the thief on the cross is going to be with the Lord in paradise immediately and he never confessed Christ before men. Is that accurate? How much more public could his confession be as he's dying and everybody's watching him and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And of course, Jesus confesses and says, you will be with me in paradise today. This is what the Christian wants with all his heart with all his soul, for Christ Jesus to confess him before the Father. To say, even as we read in Isaiah 43, 1, that great passage of comfort, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. This is the great thing, that Jesus is ours, yes. But even more than that, that we are his. That we know him, yes. But even more than that, that he knows us. This is the great thing that is displayed for us, that Christ has a people for himself, and he knows us all by name. This should give great confidence to us and joy in those eternal things that God has revealed to us concerning Christ, 
how there are implications here on earth, that God cares about what we do with our lives even now, that we must lift high his name and confess him before the watching world. Now, I know, I know that some of you maybe, maybe are thinking that you've been in the church a long time. You confessed him a long time ago. This is great. Well, I've been in the church, in a Reformed church, for 35 years, so maybe that beats some people. And I can tell you by personal testimony today, I have no greater joy in confessing the Lord Jesus Christ than tonight. This is the greatest news that has ever come to me, and it's new every morning. Great is the faithfulness of God. This promise is to you who have confessed Christ long ago. Keep confessing Christ. Keep making Him your all in all, your joy, your glory, your boast. Even as we said this morning, rejoice in the Lord. Don't let that light grow dim. Don't forget your first love. Remember Christ. Love Christ. Serve Christ. Honor Christ. Confess Him. Confess Him before men. There was a a great hymn. It's in the Blue Trinity hymnal. It's a glorious hymn by Augustus Toplady, where the last line of that hymn says this, My name from the palms of His hands, eternity will not erase Impressed on his heart it remains in marks of indelible grace. Yes, I to the end shall endure, as sure as the earnest is given. More happy, but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. For those that confess Christ Jesus, our security in glory and for glory and to all eternity is as secure tonight. As the glorified saints, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of them in heaven right now. They're more happy. They're free from sin. We'll give them that. But they're not more secure. We are just as secure. For whom the Lord called and justified, he also glorified. It's a done deal. He has done it. And we ought to give praise to God. I want to take us back. I don't want to leave you with that account that dreadful account of Thomas Cranmer, but I want to go back to three years after his imprisonment to the year 1556, and Thomas Cranmer is still going to be put to death. Maybe some of you know this story, but before he's going to be put to death, he, so he, he, he renounced the Christian faith, and it still doesn't get him out. He, he, he still couldn't get free. He's going to be put to death, but before he's put to death, the bishops have thought, well, this will be great. Let's give an opportunity to really get those reformers, to really get those Protestants. Let's let Thomas Cranmer speak for himself and tell all the world that he renounces the reformed faith, that he renounces salvation by grace alone, ultimately that he renounces Christ. They only had it in writing, and that was kind of forced. He did it, but it was, it was pressured on him. So they said, before we kill him, let's have him stand up in this great church and we'll let everybody there hear his great renunciation in person. Well, all eyes were on that church and on that pulpit as Thomas Cranmer was put up to speak. And Thomas Cranmer had rehearsed that moment because for some time after he had renounced Christ in writing, he greatly regretted what he had done. Like Peter, he wept bitterly. And so he had waited for this opportunity that the Lord gave him. And as Thomas Cramer stood up in that pulpit, he said this, and I quote, First, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And I believe every article of the Christian faith, every word and sentence taught by our Savior Christ, his apostles and the prophets in the New and the Old Testament. And now I come to the great thing which troubles my conscience more than anything that ever I did or said in my whole life. And that is the scattering abroad of writing contrary to the truth. That writing I now here renounce 
and refuse as things written with my hand contrary to the truth which I thought in my heart. And I renounce as false and untrue all such papers signed with my hand since my degradation, wherein I offended writing contrary to my heart. Therefore, this my hand shall first be punished, for when I come to the fire, it shall first be burned. As for the Pope, I refuse him as Christ's enemy and antichrist with all his false doctrine. And that's as far as he got before they got to him. And they dragged him from the pulpit and they brought him to the stake. And as he was being burned, he did as he said he would. He stuck his right hand that had signed those documents denying Christ. He stuck it right into the heart of the fire that it would be burned first. And as his body was being consumed by the flames with his hand stretched out, he was heard by witnesses to say this. This was the hand that wrote it, this unworthy right hand. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I see the heavens opened and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Brothers and sisters, confess Christ. Confess your friend, your Lord, your Savior, your Redeemer, your great high priest. Confess his word. Confess your sinfulness before him. Confess him publicly before men. Confess him tonight. Confess him tomorrow and all the days until you see him face to face. And rest assured, brothers and sisters, rest assured, if you confess Christ before men, Christ will confess you before the Father and say to him, as he says to us, this one is mine. And he will say to you, At that great day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou the joy of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, your grace is sufficient for us. We praise you for the great work that you have done for our salvation. It is indeed all of Christ by grace alone that no one might boast that Christ might get all the glory that none might be held back. Oh, our God, we are so weak in the flesh. We are so prone to wander. Lord, we feel it prone to leave the God we love. Oh, we ask that you would take each of our hearts and seal them, seal them for the courts above. Seal them, O Lord, with this great confession that your people have made throughout all the years of history, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and he is my Lord, and he has been raised from the dead, lives forevermore, and always intercedes for us. O Lord Jesus, keep us all in the faith. May not one be lost. And we long for that day that as we sing tonight in this great house of worship, that we will sing in the glories of heaven with all the saints forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.